Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. We're going to have our Bible reading now. As I mentioned, on this journey through the Bible, and it is a quick journey, we're up to Jesus, and Ben's going to be leading us through that. We're going to have our Bible reading now from Acts chapter 13. This is where um, the Apostle Paul is preaching. Now when God had served, so, sorry, now when David had served God's purposes, purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. Thanks, Ross. Good morning, everyone. My name's Ben, if we haven't met before. Um, as Ross was mentioning before, Alpha's coming up next Sunday. Our team had a meeting Friday night to get that stuff ready for Alpha. We're so excited. It's going to be Sunday afternoon of cheese platters and getting to know who Jesus is in a space where you can ask all of the questions and your friends can ask all of their questions or your family members can ask all of their questions as well. We would love you to be RSVPing for that if you can. We've already got some people coming along, which is great, but we're going to be planning for that. So please do RSVP. And I also want to encourage you that if you're thinking about inviting someone or if you are inviting someone or if you have invited someone, we have a team of people here at Southside who are praying for you this week. So I want to give you that encouragement that you're not going by yourself. God is with you. Now, we're going to look at this passage in a moment, but let's pray first and then we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we can be here this morning, Lord, and hear your word. Father, we pray that whatever's been going on for us, that you would allow us to put that aside for a moment and hear from the living God. We pray that you would speak to us and move among us by the power of your Holy Spirit as we hear your word and see and savor Jesus. God, we pray that you would comfort us and challenge us and do this work among us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if you would deliver Bibles in your neighborhood if it meant you'd be put into prison. Would you do that? Like, would you deliver Bibles to your street if it meant you could die or be put into prison? You know, I know it's a hypothetical question. We're not there in Australia at the moment. But there are times where this question is asked of us. And this week I was reminded of that when I heard this story about two Iranian women. They were called uh, Mariam and Mazia. And from 2006, they began to try and deliver Bibles in Iran. Now, that's illegal to do that. In fact, that you face the death sentence or prison for that. And yet they went about doing this in Iran in the freezing cold winter's nights. To avoid detection, they went about delivering as many Bibles as they could. Now, over three years, these two women delivered 20,000 Bibles in Iran. 20,000 Bibles, and then in 2009, they got found. 
and they face the death sentence. They got put into one of the worst prisons in the world, notorious for torture and persecution. And they were there for 259 days. Now, they would have died in prison, except this story, for whatever reason, began to make international news, and with international pressure, they were released and moved to America. It's an amazing story of faith and faithfulness, an amazing story of how these women value the Bible, right? Like, that's what this story does. It shows they went through torture and death and persecution. They knew what was on the line, but they did this because they wanted people to get the Bible in their hands. Now, I know hypothetical questions don't move us, but stories like that, when you hear them, they do force us to ask a question. And the question is, do I value the Bible that much? Would I do something like that? You know, do I see the importance of God's Word, the Bible, the story from beginning to end, as such an important thing that it it affects the way I treat it and respond to it and live in light of it? Do I value the Bible that much? Now, this morning, this is what we're going to think about. We're going to spend a moment thinking about the importance of the Bible. We're going to spend a chance asking this question, a time asking this question, why does the story matter? And we're going to do that as we get into this passage in Acts chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles there, open them up, or it'll be on the screen as well, because Paul wants us to see why this story matters. Now, he begins by telling us about the story so far. So let's have a look at the story so far. He picks it up in Acts chapter 13, verse 16, a little bit before what Ross read out for us before, and it says this, Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt with mighty power. He led them out of that country. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness. And he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving the land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled for 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king, and God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So why does the story of the Bible matter? Well, Paul begins by pointing out the story so far. You've got to know what the story is to see why it matters, and he shows us the story so far. And it's kind of funny because he does this in nine verses. Now, Ross was telling us to thank him because he did from Genesis 3 to the end in 40 minutes last week. Paul took nine verses. That's it to look at the story so far. So so let's explore this, let's think about this, and let's do it not just in light of Paul's words here, but what we've been looking at in this series. So week one, we looked at creation. God created the world in great power and might. He ruled in authority, and His creation, it's His creation. He's the creator, we are creation. This is important because God will live in authority and rule in authority and do great things in power. Week two, we looked at sin. How Adam and Eve broke God's law. They broke God's heart. They rejected God and they went their own way. And because of sin, we saw this pattern set up. Sin, consequence, and a hint of grace. The world broke at this point as God's judgment was on God's people. Week three, we looked at the patriarchs. This is where God made promises to Father Abraham. That's where we get that song from. And the promises were, you can have great people, great land, and great inheritance. Now, last week, we went on this journey to see how this played out, didn't we? We, we saw a little bit, and we saw how, well, first, before we get to the kingdom, the law was established. 
Now, the law was given around this time as God's people were told how to live in the land. If you remember last year, we looked at this in Deuteronomy, where they're given the law as the rule of life of how they can flourish. After the law, we get the kingdoms. This is what we looked at last week. This is what we saw as the kings began to rule. Now, Paul touched on this with King Saul. He was the first guy. Not a great king, but not the worst king. He was the tall guy. That's what we learn about Saul. And he ruled for about 40 years. And then he died. And then we get David. And David rules for a little bit. In fact, we saw it in this verse here that he was kind of a pretty good king. In fact, he was uh, a man after God's own heart. And God said he will do everything that I want him to do. And David ruled within the kingdom. But you see, while David was probably the best king in the kingdom section of the Old Testament, of the story so far, David wasn't the king the people needed. David followed the pattern of Eve before him. He sinned. He broke God's law. He was rejected. And and more than that, he died. Then we looked at last week, Solomon. His son comes on board. And Solomon was worse than David, followed the footsteps of Eve before, and he too rejected God's law. He too went his own way. That's when we saw last week, we reflected on this too in our growth groups this week, that God's people would be judged for their sin. And so they get moved out to exile. This is judgment day on God's people as they move from the land and they go out under Babylon to live in exile. This is judgment upon them for their sin, for rejecting God's law and doing their own way. But all the while, God gave them prophets. The pattern we get, sin, consequence, hints of grace, and the prophets rock up and there's hints of grace grace in the prophets as they say one day God will come and bring life when there was death. One day God will come and bring God's people back to God's land. This is the story so far that we've been seeing. Saul, uh, Paul gives it to us in nine verses, but this is what we've been looking at in the last three weeks. Now the question at this point is, okay, if this is the story so far, why does it matter? That's the question. Because if you read through this stuff, sometimes it feels like it's just the same pattern. You get Israel's failures, God's faithfulness. You get one generation after the next. You get descendant after descendant, rising and falling, living and dying. And sometimes as you read this, it really does feel like, okay, why does this matter? You know, maybe you've experienced that before. In reading the Old Testament, you you find yourself in a big genealogy and you just think, what's this got to do with me? How is this about me? feels like sometimes you're reading someone else's family line. You know, if you, you know a few years ago, we, we, we loosely got into this stuff. I feel like it was when Ancestry.com came about. And we all had a grandparent that did this, or you were a grandparent who did this. In my family, it was my pop, and he got into our family line, and he put so much time into that. He was going to libraries, and he lives in Perth, so libraries in Perth, and libraries in Brisbane, libraries overseas. My parents went in England, and, and he's getting them to go to libraries over there to fill out his family tree. And about 10 years ago, he showed me this thing, this thing of beauty that he was like so proud of. And it was interesting when I looked at it. You know, it was interesting to look at all the work that he had done, and I know it's just, it, was, it was a hobby and a thing that he got into. It was interesting, and I enjoyed looking at it. But... Since that moment 10 years ago, even my own family tree, I haven't thought about for about 10 years, right? Because even for me, my own family line is mildly interesting, which makes your family line to me not interesting at all, right? So don't show me that after the service. No one's interested because with someone else's family line, you're looking at it and you're going, what has this got to do with me? How is this about me? Now, sometimes that's how it feels when we read through the Old Testament. 
you just find yourself in a family line, a genealogy, and you go, how is this about me? You look at the story so far, and you go, how is this story about me? What has this got anything to do with me? Why does this matter? Well, as we keep reading, we're going to see something powerful and confronting from Paul. As he keeps going, we're going to see something confronting because it's his revelation that the story isn't about you. It's about Jesus. So let's have a look at how he does this. It's from verse 23 where he says this, From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you suppose I am? I'm not the one you're looking for. But there is one coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. So the story so far is a story about Jesus. Now, I love John's role in this. John the Baptist, he's the one that came just before Jesus, and he was preaching repentance and baptism, and he had quite a big following. You know, crowds were gathered around John, and I love John's words here where he says, listen, I'm not the guy. In fact, he he has that line where he says, I'm not the one you're looking for. Now, can you see the implication of that? The implication is they were looking for someone. We see that. Don't we? Like, they were looking for someone. John says, I'm not the one you're looking for. Now, who are they looking for? And why are they looking for someone? Well, this is what we've seen right throughout our our story so far. You see, from sin, that moment where sin entered into the world, God gave this promise as he was pouring the judgments out on the serpent where he said, a descendant's going to come, a descendant from Eve is going to crush the serpent's head, and, and the serpent will bruise his heel. So from that moment in the Old Testament, they're looking for a descendant of Eve. Every time they would read a genealogy, they would think, is this the person who's going to crush the serpent? From the patriarchs, they're looking for someone who would bring God's people into God's land, who who would give them blessing and inheritance. From the law, they're looking for someone who would rule in a way where God's people can follow him and flourish the way that he wants. From the kingdom, they're looking for a king, not like David, who sinned, not like Solomon, who sinned, not like any of the other kings. They're looking for a king who will actually rule in justice and peace. From the exile, they're looking for a king, someone who would come and take their place, their punishment, and bring them back home. And from the prophets, they were looking for someone who would bring life in death, who would be God's word with God's people. This is who they're looking for. And John gets up in front of this large crowd and he says, I'm not the guy. I'm not the one you're looking for. But you see what he says. He says, but he's coming after me. And John was pointing to, and Paul shows us who he's pointing to. It was Jesus. Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one the story is about. From beginning to end, it's all about Jesus. And this is what Paul spells out for us. Notice there's something different about Paul as he works, uh, about Jesus, sorry, as he works through this. Verse 26, he says, His fellow children of Israel, uh, children of Abraham, and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their leaders did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written about him, about Jesus, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. Now, at this point of the story, he is like every other king before him, every other descendant. He lived and then he died, but there's something different about Jesus. 
Verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. Verse 31 says he was seen by people, witnessed by actual people. Verse 32 to 35 says this was witnessed to by the the scriptures. The Old Testament spoke about how he would rise from the dead. And then he sums it up like this in verse 36 where he says, Now when David, you know the king after God's own heart, when David had served God's purposes in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Paul is saying here, it's all about Jesus. Everything. He's the descendant. He's the ruler. He's the king. He's the one who would bring God's people home. Everything in the story so far, it's all about Jesus. This is God's heart from beginning to end. It's Jesus. The whole story of the Bible is about Jesus. You see this? It's all about Jesus. Now, now, what is the implications of this? What does it mean that the whole story is about Jesus? Well, the first implication of this is it means that it's not about us. It's not about me. Now, this is a big deal because in every human heart, we all like to make everything about us. We do. This is just the reality of every person from Eve onward. We love to make everything about me, and this is particularly true in Australia, we love this, we're an individualistic society here in Australia, and we love making everything about me. Have you ever kind of found one of those moments in your life where you just thought, I made something about me that actually wasn't about me? You ever done that? In our house recently, we have had this exposed to us in ways that uh, I'm not particularly proud of. So our daughter, Poppy, she's nearly 18 months, and she's at that stage where she's getting sick a little bit. And uh, in the last few weeks, there was this morning where she woke up with a runny nose. And if you're a parent, you might have experienced this before. The right reaction in that moment, when you see the runny nose, is our poor baby. You know, she's, she's struggling. She's obviously sick, and she's going to need a lot of love in the next few days. That's the right and the good response. My response when I wake up and see that runny nose is, this is going to be a really tough days, a few days for me. Now, I'm working through it. God is gracious. And I'm not, share, I'm not afraid to share this because I know that if you're a parent, you've experienced this. And I know that if you're a human, you know this too. Our tendency from Eve on, every single person that's ever lived has this tendency to just make everything about me. Now, one of the problems of that is we tend to make the Bible about me. We love to do this, and particularly the story so far. We love to make the story that we've heard so far all about me. We almost turn the Bible into this self-help book. Now, you might have heard this before, some of these lines. You You might even think these lines, but we tend to do this because it sounds really good. So, you know, you might hear, you can be the descendant of Eve that crushes your enemies. How good does that sound? You can crush your enemies, and when you crush your enemies, if you're praying the right way or doing the right thing, your enemies will only bruise your heel. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? You know, we can crush our enemies. Who doesn't love that? Or what about David and Goliath? This is the good one, right? Like, you've got Goliaths in your life, giants in your life that you can crush. If you just get your five stones together of resilience and faithfulness and prayer, then when you get those five stones, you can slay your giant. It's good, right? Daniel in the lion's den, that's a good one too. We love that. 
Because we have lions in our life. You've got lions of work and enemies and people trying to eat you. And if you just eat the right diet, then your lions will shut their mouth and you can get through that. Or Jonah and the whale. What are you running from? Because the darkness you're in right now is just the whale that's going to spit you out. When you figure out what you're running from, you'll get out of that. It sounds good. But the problem with it is, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. And, and the problem with all of that stuff is it's actually a lie. You can't crush your enemies. If your enemies are death and Satan and sin, you can't do it. You can't crush that enemy. It's not just going to bruise your heel. They will destroy you. That promise was about Jesus who would die and rise again. And the bruised heel was the fact that he rose from the dead. You can't beat your giants. You can't beat Goliath. The story of David and Goliath is a story of faithfulness in the face of death, which points us towards Jesus, who was faithful in the face of death. Daniel and the lion's den. You, you can't do that. You're not Daniel. And the lion's den is not your life. That story is about faithfulness in the face of persecution, not just death, but persecution. And again, it points us to Jesus, who was faithful in persecution. And you're not Jonah. You're not going to survive if you get eaten by a whale. And whatever your trials right now, that's not, that's not your whale experience. Jonah is about Jesus. It points us to Jesus who dies taking our sin and is in the tomb for three days when the tomb spits him out. The story's not about you. It's about Jesus. Every single chapter, every single verse, whichever story you pick up, whether it's, you know, you're looking to find your Boaz or, you know, you want to marry your king like Esther, whatever it is, it's not about you. It's about Jesus every single time. The plans, the prophecies, the promises, the, the kingdoms, the conquering, the glory, it's all about Jesus. So if it's about Jesus, if it's not about me, still the question's there, why does it matter? Like, how is this not like reading someone else's family line? How, does this, how is this not like that? Because it feels like that. If it's not about me, th then why does this matter? Why is it important? Well, this is where Paul goes. And, and what he shows us is a pretty crucial thing we've got to understand. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. But Paul shows us the story about Jesus is for me. And notice as we get to this how intensely personal, how, how he wraps this sermon up, how intensely personal it is. Verse 38, it says this, Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. Why does this story matter? Well, it's because the story about Jesus is a story for you, for me. It's a story for us. Now, Paul does this by taking us to Judgment Day. The picture here that we have is courtroom on Judgment Day. And we get that imagery from verse 40 and 41, where he quotes from Habakkuk. Now, Habakkuk was a prophet in the Old Testament. And Habakkuk was speaking just before Israel went to exile. And what he was saying to them is judgment day is coming. Now, it, the implication is there's some people that don't believe Habakkuk. There's some people who are scoffing him, mocking him. But what Habakkuk says is, 
it doesn't matter if you reject this message. It doesn't matter if you ignore it or mock it. As sure as the sun sets tonight and rises tomorrow, Judgment Day is coming. And we know how the story went. Judgment Day came. And Israel got taken out to exile. Now, what Paul is doing here in this moment is he's saying another Judgment Day is coming. Another Judgment Day is coming. And it doesn't matter if you reject it or mock it or ignore it. You can scoff at it. But as sure as the sun sets tonight and rises tomorrow, as sure as you sit on the seat that you're sitting on and breathe the next breath you breathe, Judgment Day will happen. And on Judgment Day, all of us will face the living God in the courtroom of God. Now, this is why it matters, because the story about Jesus offers a way that we can be forgiven. In fact, he uses this word justification. Now, justification is a bit of a a, a jargony word, but it's a judicial term. And the idea of being justified is to be acquitted or set free from your guilt or have your debts paid. Now, it's really important we get this because all humanity from beginning to end in the courtroom of God are guilty. We all are. From Eve, David, Solomon, even the best guys in the Old Testament, every single human that's ever lived in the courtroom of God, we find ourselves guilty. We owe a debt, and we owe a debt because at some point in our lives, we've rejected God. We've rebelled against Him. And so what that means is before the throne of God, we stand as guilty. Now, the problem is we can't fix it. Do you notice when he says that? He says, uh, Jesus offers something the law of Moses couldn't do. And the idea he's getting at is there, you can't be good enough. You can't be good enough to fix your debts. Now, that's, that's important we get that because we love to think that we can be good enough. You know, like, you know, you might have heard someone say, you might have even said this, that when we die, we're going to go to heaven because I'm a pretty good person. But the problem with that is that's not how courtrooms work. And we know this. You know, if you think about it, um, you get a speeding fine. And you want to contest your speeding fine. And you go to the courtroom and the judge says, why should I let you go off your speeding fine? And you say, because I was wearing my seatbelt. That's not how it works. But you're saying, look, look, I've done a good thing, so that means I should get off the bad thing. I shouldn't have to pay my debt because I was doing the right thing. I was wearing a seatbelt. You'd get thrown out of the courtroom. But what if you did lots of good things? What if you wore your seatbelt every time you drove? What if you're, you've paid your rego? What if you've, you know, your car's up to roadworthy standard? What if you've paid your taxes every year, except for the 2011-12 year, which was a little bit blurry, but outside of that, you're pretty good. For the most part, you've done lots of good things in your life. It doesn't matter, because you still owe the debt of your speeding fine. You see that? We know that's how courtrooms work. And before the throne of God, this is how it works. You see, it doesn't matter if this morning you know that you've got a past that you're ashamed of. It doesn't matter if you've got a past where you know that you're guilty. Some of us know that. We're sitting here and we're feeling the burden of that. For others of us, we've forgotten our sin. We think we're pretty good. But it doesn't matter because all of us have some sort of debt that we've got to pay, which becomes a problem before the throne room of God because if we've got a debt to pay, the wages of sin is death. The wages is death. And we can't fix that. So what hope do we have? Well, this is why he points us to Jesus. And he says, Jesus offers something that you can't find. Jesus, the perfect descendant of Eve, crushed 
the serpent's head, defeated Satan and sin and death. Jesus did what Eve couldn't do, what Solomon couldn't do, what David couldn't do. Jesus is the one. And the story about Jesus is a story that leads to his death and resurrection, which offers you a way to find forgiveness. Where in the courtroom of the living God, we can know that we stand forgiven. Do you see the story about Jesus is a story for you? It's intensely personal. This is not a hypothetical. This is not just news out there for, for, for other people. This is a story for us this morning. Because when we come to believe in Jesus, what it means is that we can be forgiven and our debts paid. Now you begin to see then why the story matters. There's no other book that tells you about this. There's no other way that you can be saved. The Bible matters because the story from beginning to end is about Jesus for people with eternity on the line. And here this morning, it's for you. Now, what I love about this is when people see the story of the Bible, they do put their trust in Jesus. You know, when people see the offer of forgiveness, this is where they actually trust in Jesus. And it's so interesting. So those two women we talked about at the start from Iran, a few years ago, they came to Australia. So they live in America, but came to Australia to speak at a conference. And when they were speaking at the conference, they told their story about how from 2006 to 2009, they gave Bibles out, 20,000 Bibles. They shared the story of how they went to prison and jail to get the story of the Bible out there. And they spoke and people were encouraged. And then after the service, they had this moment where they could talk to people from the crowd. And as they were there in a conference in Australia, two Iranian uh, people, a couple, came up to them and they said in 2006 to 2009, they were living in Iran. And they went out to their letterbox and there was a Bible in there. And they read the story of the Bible. And they put their trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. And in God's providence, here they are in Australia, meeting this Iranian couple from America to share their story. It's beautiful. This is what happens when people get the story of the Bible. From beginning to end, when we see Jesus offers forgiveness, we see real people put their trust in Jesus. Now this morning, we're going to put this into practice. We're going to invite you to put your trust in Jesus, and we're going to invite you to participate in celebrating the death of Jesus. You know, you might have seen the tables out the front here this morning. We're going to do the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is this beautiful thing that God instituted when, when, when he died on the cross, for God's people to remember the death of Jesus so that they'd never forget how beautiful the death of Jesus is. You know, he gathered with his disciples and he broke the bread and, the, and, he, and, he, and he drank from the cup and he said, remember the death of Jesus. Now, the Lord's Supper is an outward sign of an inward reality. You know, in some ways, it's similar to baptism. And the, the outward sign is coming up and taking the bread and the juice, but the inward reality is that you believe in Jesus. The inward reality is that I trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins. So that's why we do it the way that we do it. That's why we ask you to come to the front and grab your own bread and juice. Now, of course, if you've got people around you that can't get up to the front, please help them out in that way. But that's why we ask you to participate in this. Because you're not just taking bread and juice because it's being handed to you. And you're not just taking bread and juice because everyone else is doing it. Now, this is an outward sign of something inwardly you believe. 
So what we're going to do this morning is if you can, as you grab the bread and juice, just wait for everyone else to grab the bread and the juice. We're going to do this as a family. But I want to say this too, that if you're here this morning and you don't believe in Jesus, maybe you're not sure, maybe you've got questions that you want to find out or whatever, we want to invite you to Alpha to come up and, and to hear Alpha next Sunday, to hear about Jesus, to ask your questions. But this morning, we want to ask and encourage you to not take the bread and the juice. Don't be inauthentic to yourself. Don't worry about other people. This is about our individual response to Jesus. So this morning, whether it's for the first time or whether you've done this for a long time, if you believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, if you see the story of the Bible is a story about Jesus but for you, if you want to say sorry to Jesus for what you've done but celebrate that in the courtroom of God, his death covers you, then would you come and take bread and juice? And in a moment, we'll celebrate this together. Please come and make your way to the front. The night before Jesus died, he gathered with his 12 disciples and he took bread and he broke it. And he said of the bread, whenever you gather and you break bread together, remember my body given for you. As we take our wafer and eat this together. Let's remember Jesus' body given to us. Jesus then held up the cup as they were sitting there around the table. And he held up the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, a new relationship that we have with God based on what Jesus has done. He said, the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you gather, do this in remembrance of Jesus' bloodshed. Let's drink and remember Jesus' blood. Jesus, as we gather together this morning, we thank you so much that your body was given to us, that your blood was shed at the cross. We thank you, Jesus, that a millennia of expectation, year after year of looking for the one the prophet spoke about, the descendant who would finally crush the enemy. We thank you so much that Jesus was the one and that he came and he lived the perfect life. He did what Eve couldn't do, what David couldn't do, what the people before him couldn't do. He lived the perfect life and then died on the death, to t uh, die on the cross to take our punishment away and pay for our debt. Jesus, we thank you so much for the cross. We thank you so much for the story about you. We pray, Father, that as we begin to understand how important this is and how much this matters. We pray that this would transform our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.